Scripture reading is from John 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the word of the God. Good morning. This uh, passage is the record of a conversation that Jesus had with a religious leader of his day, a man named Nicodemus. And near the end of this passage, there is a verse that many consider to be the most famous verse in the whole Bible. This is a Bible verse sometimes you'll see um, placarded at uh, sporting events. This is a verse that many Christians will have committed to memory, maybe from a very early age. Martin Luther, the reformer, he referred to this verse as the Bible in miniature. In other words, he felt like this is a synopsis of the entire message of Scripture in one Bible verse, very famous part of Scripture. And I'm referring, of course, to John chapter 3, verse 16, which says, um, actually, instead of me reading it, is it okay if I ask us all to read this verse together? Would you mind? It's at the second to last verse in the passage. Let's read this, all right? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him 
shall not perish but have eternal life. Now what, what I want to do this morning is I want to focus just on that verse in the context of the passage, but focus on that verse. And I want us, as we look at this verse, I want to invite us to consider three things. Let's think about what this verse says. First, what God has done, what God has done for us. Then secondly, why God did this. And then third, what response this act of God requires of us. So what God has done, why he did it, and then how we are to respond. So, okay, what has God done? Well, the, the first verb in that sentence is loved. What has God done? God loved. You say, what did God love? God loved the world. Now, that term, the world, has a variety of meanings. In the New Testament, you can usually tell just from the context. In the context here, this is referring to all of humanity. God loved all of humanity. It's, it's, this is important. God, it doesn't say God loved the good people or God loved the moral people or God loved the nice people. We all love nice people, right? Or God loved uh, sincere, devout people. No, this is just saying God loved the world, all people in the world, okay? So how did God love all the people of the world? How, how did God demonstrate this love? Well, God loved the world in this way. God gave his one and only son. There, it's, there's one word in the Greek that's translated one and only, or in the, the old versions, God's only begotten son. And this is a term that highlights the unique nature of Jesus Christ. Now, in a certain sense, everyone in the church is one of God's children, right? All believers in Christ are children of God. Uh, sisters, you are God's daughters. Brothers, you are God's sons. We're all God's children. But listen, none of us is God's one and only child. There is a, there's a relationship that Christ has with the Father that is unique, a, a relationship that's rooted in the triune nature of God. John, John, in his gospel, talks about this from the very start of his gospel. John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says this, In the beginning was the Word. And if you read on, you realize he's talking about Jesus here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, this is mysterious stuff here. This is pointing to a truth you find revealed in Scripture, and that is that from all eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have existed as three distinct persons who are perfectly united in one supreme being. Christ is God's one and only, His one and only Son. In fact, later in this gospel, in John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said this. It was astonishing. Almost got him killed for saying this. He said, I and the Father are one. Now, I would imagine some of you are probably pretty close with your parents. You call them every week. You stay in touch. Some of you parents are probably very close with your kids. But none of you would say that. 
I and my parents are one, right? I and my children are one. You're not one with them. There is a uniqueness to the relationship that exists between God the Father and God the Son that is unparalleled in human experience. We cannot fully comprehend it. There is no intimacy closer than the intimacy the Father and the Son and the Spirit share. There's no love that is greater than the love that they have for each other. There's no joy greater than the joy that the Father takes in the Son and the Son takes in the Father and the Spirit takes in the Father and the Son. There's no unity more perfect than this. So it's almost hard for us to comprehend this relationship. And here's what God did. God loved the world so much. He gave His one and only Son. Now you'll notice it doesn't say here that God sent His Son into the world. You'll find that language in other places, even in verse 17. But here in John 3.16 it says, God gave His Son. A a mom and a dad put their 18-year-old daughter on a bus and they send her off to their first her first semester in college, right? And it's a heart-wrenching experience for everyone because this is their little girl and they see the bus pulling off into the distance and their daughter's waving and she gets smaller and smaller and and she disappears. It's just a heart-wrenching experience. But they're not giving their daughter to that college. They're just sending her there. They'll see her at Thanksgiving, right? But what does it say here? God so loved the world that He gave. He gave His Son. One one scholar has suggested that you could translate that. God gave up His one and only Son. He gave Him up. You say, in what sense did He give Him up? Well, in the context, you see what Christ, what this is talking about. God gave Him up to die. In, in uh, verse 14, Jesus talking to Nicodemus says this. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And we say, what is he talking about? Nicodemus knew what he was talking about. Nicodemus is an expert in the Old Testament, and he knew that Christ here is referring to this story that you find in the book of Numbers, this story where the people of Israel in the wilderness, they've been bitten by poisonous snakes, and they're dying. And so God instructed Moses to make a bronze replica of a serpent, of a snake, and and to put that, that bronze snake on a pole and just lift it up in the middle of the camp so that the snake bitten people could look at that snake and they would be healed. And Jesus, he's saying here to Nicodemus, he's saying, listen, what Moses did to that bronze snake, that's what they're gonna do to me. They're gonna put me on a pole, put me on a cross, and they're gonna lift me up to die. Later in the Gospel of John, in chapter 12, Jesus starts using that same language again. He says, I I must be lifted up from the earth. And, And John 12, verse 33 says, he said this to show the kind of death he would die. So what has God done for us? You could read this verse. God loved the world, the whole world, everyone in the world. In this way, he gave up his one and only son, to die. We, we all perhaps have pictures that come to mind when we think of Jesus hanging and dying on the cross. What, what are we actually looking at when we think of Christ on the cross? John Calvin, the reformer, he said, he said we're, this is what we're looking at. He said, quote, 
we are beholding the heart of God poured out in love. God's heart is poured out there. One modern scholar said, if the depth of love is measured by the value of its gift, then God's love could not be greater. For his love gift is his most precious possession, his only eternally beloved son. So, according to John 3, verse 16, what has God done? Well, you could say this, motivated by nothing but love, love for all of humanity, God the Father gave up his precious son to die. That's what he's done. Now, why? Why did God do that? In 1989, a movie came out called uh, Born on the Fourth of July. It was based on a, a, the memoir written by a former U.S. Marine named Ron Kovich. Ron Kovich was a, a young man uh, from Long Island who enlisted in the military, served two tours of duty in Vietnam in the 1960s. And while he was in Vietnam, he became very disillusioned with that particular war. He just wondered, why are we here? Why are we not being supported? What is the mission? He saw uh, just, he witnessed atrocities being committed, civilians being attacked, good friends of his died, and eventually Kovic himself was shot on the battlefield, left permanently paralyzed from the chest down, and in that moment on the field, he thought he would die. And here's what he writes in his memoir. He says, I felt that everything from my chest down was completely gone. I waited to die. I threw my hand back and felt my legs still there. I couldn't feel them, but they were still there. I could hardly breathe. I couldn't even feel my body. I was frightened to death. I didn't think about praying. All I could feel was cheated. All I could feel was the worthlessness of dying right here at, in this place at this moment for nothing. Now, why do I reference that? Because if you listen to some people describe their view of God, their understanding of God's plans for this world, if you listen to some people talk, you get the impression that, that they think that's the way Jesus should have felt on the cross, like he's just dying for nothing. See, a very common understanding, maybe you've thought this way, you know people who think this way, very common understanding in our culture is that God never really punishes anyone. And even if God did, there'd be no reason for it because deep down inside, we're all basically good. Everyone goes to heaven, no one goes to hell. In fact, there's not even any such thing as hell. That's a very common view. But listen, if you just think of it, listen, according to that view, Jesus died for nothing. I mean, how do you explain God the Father giving up His precious Son to die on a cross if no one in the world is at eternal risk? But what does the verse say? For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. The, uh, the word perish means to be destroyed, to be lost, to be ruined. Parallel terms in this same chapter, John chapter 3, are verse 18, to be condemned, verse 36, to be under God's wrath. Right here in John 3, verse 16, the opposite of perishing is 
eternal life, life of the age to come. The word, this word translated perish, it's the same word Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, to describe God destroying, quote, both body and soul in hell. So, so listen, the point I'm trying to make is Jesus did not die for no reason. He didn't die for nothing. According to the Bible, all of us have sinned. According to the Bible, each of us will be judged. According to the Bible, we all deserve God's wrath. So why did God send His one and only Son? Because God loved the world. And in the words of 2 Peter 3, verse 9, He is not wanting anyone to perish. So why send Jesus? 1 John 2, verse 2 says, Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 Peter 3, verse 18 says, Christ suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring you to God. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin, or you could translate that, to be a sin offering for us, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So why did God send His one and only Son? Well, listen, the gift of God's Son, you could say it this way, the gift of God's Son, this is God's rescue plan. This is, this is God's way to deliver sinners like me and you from eternal punishment and to assure us of eternal life. That's what God did. That's why God did it. Now, what, what response does this loving act of God um, require of us? What are we being invited to do here? Well, again, back to the same verse. God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes, whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. This, this verse is calling us to believe in Christ. Now, what does that mean? To, uh, to believe in Christ means more than merely affirming your agreement with some theological statement. You ever download an app on your phone or you sign up for some service on, on your computer and then this, you know, this box appears and there's all this like millions of words of legal uh, script that's written there and you scroll down to the bottom and here's a little box you're supposed to check I agree with terms of service, right? I just check the box. I never read this stuff. I, I, I do feel convicted when it says I have read and I agree. I'm lying. I just, I have to ask God, forgive me for lying, but I don't read that stuff. Just check the box. You know what? Believing in Christ is a lot more than just checking the box, isn't it? You, you, could, you could make the case that Nicodemus had checked the box. Nicodemus shows up to talk with Jesus, and, you know, after a fashion, he affirms a statement of faith in Christ. It's not, it's not, it's not full-blown Christology, right, but just, just for the moment. It's, it's for that moment in time, because they didn't know about the death, the resurrection yet. This is a pretty good statement of faith from Nicodemus. He, he comes to Jesus, verse 2, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So so Nicodemus, he, this is what he says. Here's how he checks the box. I believe you came from God. I believe God is with you. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, oh, man, unless something happens and you're born again, you'll never even see the kingdom of heaven. So, 
believing in Christ, it's more than just affirming some statement of faith. So what is it? Well, it's worth noting. John 3.16 does not say, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in the doctrines of the church shall not perish or have eternal life. Or, Or whoever believes in the inspiration of the Bible. Or whoever believes in the power of the gospel. Or whoever believes in justification by faith alone. It doesn't say that. It said, God so loved the world, he gave his Son, that whoever, what, believes in him... You see how personal this invitation is? This, the, the call to believe in Christ is a personal call. In other words, this is, this is a, a relational invitation from a person to do what? To entrust your life to Him. Have you done that? To trust Him. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have life. So that's the invitation to trust him, this person. It's not easy to trust people, is it? Some of you have been betrayed by people. Some of you have known untrustworthy people. How do you you know you can trust someone? Well, if they keep their word, Jesus keeps his word. If If they don't put themselves and their needs above yours, Jesus, oh my goodness, he gave himself for you. If when they make a promise, they fulfill it. Jesus said, he said, three days after dying, I will rise again. He kept that promise, right? He's trustworthy. And what you're being called to do and what I'm being called to do and our whole eternal destiny depends on this. Trust him. I love that word, perhaps my favorite word in this whole verse. You may not. You might have a different one you like better, but I love this one. Whoever. Isn't that beautiful? Whoever. Now that says that the most notorious sinner in the world who trusts Jesus will have eternal life. And yet it implies that the most morally upright, devout, religious person who doesn't trust Jesus will perish. It's, it's all, it, it all comes down to this. Trust Jesus. Tr- entrust yourself to Him. Believe in Him. And, and so, have you done that yet? If, if not, uh, I want you to know something, that God loves you so much. You can't even begin to comprehend how much he loves you. And today, he's very simply inviting you. Won't you trust my son? Let's pray together. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you, Father, for this assurance for those of us who have trusted you. Maybe we had a really bad week we don't feel good about, but we've trusted Jesus, and we have eternal life and we will not perish, and it's all because of Him, and we thank you for that. Thank you. That never changes. And maybe if there's anyone here who has not yet come to the place where they trust Jesus, I pray, God, that today would be the day where you're the God who raises the dead. You're the God who speaks into existence things that are not. We've heard that today, that you would speak 
the gift of faith into their heart, that today they would start to trust Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.